Good morning. We've been working our way through uh, different ideas about the gospel this year. Uh, that's been our, our focus, and we're going to continue that this morning. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, overall, <clears throat> I think we can say that the gospel has turned the world upside down. Uh, it says it right there in Scripture, but uh, I think as we look at society as a whole, it has been turned on its head. Lots of, a lot of things have changed since the gospel has come onto the scene, and it has transformed society uh, into what we now enjoy, the peace and the prosperity in, in some ways has been brought about because of the gospel. I mean, you can't, you can't negate the effect that the gospel, the gospel has had on human society, and we've, we've talked about uh, throughout this year so far how the gospel is what creates faith hope and love when we focus on it we grow in faith hope and love the gospel transforms us and causes multiplication uh, the gospel creates a, a community of people who who love one another and who are striving for uh, uh, holiness and and goodness in their society that they live in now i'd like for us to shift over and think about some of the struggles that people have with the gospel uh, it may be that uh, you've talked to people, or maybe that you're here this morning, and you have struggled with believing in and fully trusting in and submitting to the gospel. Uh, over the next few months, we're going to talk about a couple of reasons why you might do that. Uh, it turns out people have been doing that since the gospel came onto the scene over 2,000 years ago, uh, or around 2,000 years ago. So people have been doing that for a long time. Uh, and the reasons why people are doing it today is, in some ways, very similar to the reasons why uh, people did it back then. So we're going to be looking at different reasons why people struggle with the gospel. And I, my hope is that if you're here and you're struggling, that this will help you. And my hope is if you're here and you're not struggling and you've got the gospel, that this will help you to understand the struggles that other people are facing so that you can then better guide them and instruct them and help them understand the gospel uh, and why they should uh, embrace the gospel and not reject the gospel. This morning we're going to be talking about exclusivity, uh, how the gospel is exclusive. And this is something that the world struggles with. Uh, why is it exclusive? Uh, how, in what ways is it exclusive? And, and why is that okay? Why do, you, why do you not have a problem with how exclusive the gospel is? Uh, to help us illustrate that, we're going to be studying uh, 1 John chapter 4, and this is really going to bring to light how exclusive the gospel is. Uh, so let's start off reading the first two verses of 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay? And, and every spirit that does not confess is not from God. Okay, so the first two verses. Do not believe every spirit. What John says here is test the spirits. Well, doesn't that imply that you're going to be a judge? 
Should we be judges of spirit? Should we be judges of the internal motivations of people? Spirit is a, is a phrase that's intended to uh, point to the emotions, the character of the person. You know, what John says here is that some people are going to be wrong. Some people are going to be wrong. John says we should not be accepting everything that everybody says as though it is the truth. John is not encouraging us to live out our truth, which is, I think, the doctrine of our day. You have your truth. You need to be true to your truth and, and live it out and, and believe it. John doesn't go that way. He doesn't say that. He says you need to test the spirits and, and understand because some people are false. Some people are wrong in the things that they say, in the things that they believe. Well, how, how, how can you tell? How can you tell who's right and who's wrong? How can you tell who's true and who's false? Well, he tells us. Notice, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the answer. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. John says, Do they believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? What does that mean? Do they believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? I like to say that this is not talking about Jesus being born. Okay? Notice the phrase. Do you believe that Jesus has come in the flesh? What is that alluding to? What is that implying? It's the same thing that was in the scripture reading, that he was in the beginning with God. Philippians chapter 2 says this same kind of idea. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, the picture that's painted here is he was in the form of God and he chose to empty himself and become a human being. To become human. Jesus came from heaven to become a man. To live in the flesh. And the false prophets do not agree with that statement. Therefore they do not agree with he has been exalted and he is above everything. They do not believe that he came from God and now he, he became a human. And now he is exalted back into the position of authority. People have been saying uh, that this, people have been saying this from the beginning. Jesus is a good man. It's not it. People have been saying Jesus is not really from God. And here John says that's a false prophet. Some prophets confess Jesus has come from God. And some say, no, he didn't. And look at verse 3. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you, ha- which you heard was coming and now is already in the, in the world already. Okay, look at what he says here. If they do not confess that Jesus came from God, they are not from God. And then he gives them this title, this name. They are Antichrist. Now, we kind of get wide-eyed. Oh, Antichrist, what is this about? You know, Antichrist. Uh, you know, we got movies about the Antichrist coming as though it's this uh, demonic figure that's going to bring about the destruction of the world. But notice here he says he's already in the world. <laughs> and he ascribes Antichrist as a title to all of those who say Jesus has not come in the flesh. Jesus is not from God. He, is not, he was not God then became human. He was born a human. He was always a human. And that's what he is. That person is anti-Christ. That person is a false prophet. Now, why in the world would John put this so strongly? Because if you don't believe in the coming of Jesus from, from divinity to humanity and suffering and dying for you, if you just think, well, Jesus is a good man, but then you're not from God. You're not going to follow God. You're not going to submit to God. You're not going to submit to his Christ, his Messiah, because that's who Jesus is. You see how from the very beginning, people have been saying, he's a good man. And if we go out and we we census the people around us who's Jesus, they'd say he's a good man. But if we were to ask them, do you believe that he was God and that he became a man to suffer and die for us and then he was exalted again to become the king of the world? I don't know about that. See, that's the problem. The problem is they're not willing to submit to him because there's not that belief, that understanding that he was God, he became man, and then he was exalted again. Now, why do people believe this way? Why, why is there a pull for people to believe Jesus is a good man and then let it in there? Because if Jesus is more than just a good man, that means we have to listen to him. And we don't want to listen to him. <laughs> because what he says doesn't line up with what we necessarily enjoy. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice in the middle here, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We're just kind of focusing in on, there's a contrast. John contrasts those who are from God, those who are not from God, but we're just kind of focusing in on those who are not from God. And what John says is, they are antichrists, they are from this world, and the world listens to them. They are people who speak and do the things that find acceptance in this world. It's easy for them to fit in, and they enjoy comfort, and they enjoy peace, and they enjoy pleasure. But he says, we, you, you are from God, and you have overcome them, and you have overcome the world. 
And he says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see here a dichotomy, that there's this contrast. There's, there's either you are from God, either you are living for God and believing in God, and you're submitting to, to Jesus as your king because he came from, from God and he came, became a man and he died and he is now with God and he is our king. Or this idea that Jesus is a man and he's good and we'll get some ideas from him, but we live in this world and for this world and we do the things that find approval in this world. There's this contrast between these two different groups of people and that is the exclusivity of the gospel. That is the exclusivity of the gospel. That is the exclusivity of Christianity, that Christianity is an exclusive society. It's a group of people who say, I believe Jesus came from God, that he became a man and that he rose up and that he became the king of the world. And I submit to him. And I listen to his apostles. Versus, I live for this world. And this world owns me. Now, if you're going to leave out Everyone who does not believe Jesus came from God, became a man, and then rose up, and you submit to him, you leave out everyone who does not believe that. That is leaving out a lot of people. That is leaving out a lot of people. And that is a struggle for many people who are around us. Because that's leaving out their loved ones. That's leaving out... Uh, you know, poor, poorer people who don't have access to the gospel, not really, not necessarily. If they haven't heard the gospel, I don't necessarily know that they've been left out. But that is leaving out a huge group of people who love this world and refuse to bow a knee to Jesus. And it seems kind of extreme. It just does. It, it just seems kind of extreme. And people are going to struggle with that. But it's the same thing that Jesus said in John 15. Look at this. Jesus speaking to his disciples before he's betrayed. He's about to be crucified. And he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. There's that, that reference to I came from the Father. So there's this picture here that the world hates Jesus. And because the world hates Jesus, the world will hate those who follow Jesus. And so as we live in a society that looks at us and they say, wow, you're excluding everybody who doesn't believe the same thing as you do? That is extreme. That is extremely exclusive. And they look at that. And what, how does the world react to our exclusivism? Well... The only way that it can act, by excluding them. Now, the world excludes Christianity. The world excludes Christian beliefs. We live in a society that is no longer in God we trust, which I don't know if it was really that way ever, but it's definitely not that way now. 
So the solution to, to removing, the solution to the exclusivity of Christianity is to exclude Christianity. It sounds kind of hypocritical and kind of ironic, doesn't it? That we'll just, we'll just push them out. We'll judge them harshly. They are exclusive. Therefore, they cannot be true. And we'll just remove them from all discussions because we, we are inclusive. You know, the world. We are very inclusive. We, we let everybody in. Except for those who exclude people, we, we don't let them in, you know. Except for those religious people. Well, some people actually see the irony in that, see the hypocrisy in that. And so instead of saying, okay, we can't exclude them because that's just as bad as they are, uh, what we'll do is we'll just try to privatize them. We'll just try to get them to keep their beliefs to themselves. So whenever it comes to policy making, you know, just it's okay for you to have those beliefs, just don't voice those beliefs. Just keep those beliefs to yourself. Those beliefs don't need to be involved in any of our policies, in any of the things that we do uh, at work. You don't need to speak about religion or, or your beliefs about anything. You just need to go along with what we say to do because we're not bringing up our religion. Tim Keller had a very interesting quote about this. He said, uh, you know, considering what religion is, he says, Religion is a set of answers to the big questions. Why are we here? What is right and wrong for human beings to be doing? What's wrong with the human race and what will fix it? How do we decide right and wrong? How should we be spending most of our, what should we be spending most of our time doing? What are the most important things to be doing? Nobody can operate in life without a set of answers to those questions and the answers are at least implicitly religious because you can't prove those things in a lab. Whatever your answer is, is a faith assumption. It's a religious belief. You may not see it as a religious belief, but it is. People want us to be quiet and not bring our beliefs into the workplace, into uh, the public square for people to see the beliefs that we have yet all around us are people voicing their beliefs the problem is their, their beliefs find acceptance in the world because their beliefs are naturalist beliefs or humanist beliefs and they're supposedly inclusive but the truth is everybody is exclusive none of us are totally inclusive. I don't want to include in society the person who steals my car. I want them to be removed from it. And I think everybody else here does too. The person who murders and rapes, I'm pretty sure I want them removed from society. We want to exclude. Okay, the question is, what level of exclusion? And what level of inclusion? And so exclusion itself is not necessarily a bad thing. The question is, how much exclusion is tolerable? And at what line should we draw this exclusivity? Well, whenever it comes to salvation, whenever it comes to eternal life, do we have a say-so on who is excluded and who is included? Being finite beings, do we have a say-so on how... how uh, judgment should be made on the righteousness of a certain person? And would our judgment be correct? 
Could I trust myself to judge you? Could you trust yourself to judge me? Do you know well enough to make a judgment for eternity and eternal life? Well, why would we want to trust the gospel? Why would we want to trust the God of the Bible? Now, many people have a real strong resistance to the God of the Bible, and I understand it. I'm, I've done my work on YouTube to, to see the atheistic beliefs that are splattered all over YouTube. You want to come up with an atheistic belief and you want to sound intelligent? Get on YouTube and you can sound really intelligent with some of the crazy stuff that they say. But the things that they say kind of would make sense. You know, isn't the God of the, the Bible responsible for many of the world's atrocities? Isn't he a genocidal maniac and that kind of stuff gets thrown out there? Well, no. <laughs> well, how do you justify the Old Testament? Well, what's really fascinating is the same person who would say that would say, well, I like Jesus, though. Jesus is a good man. You know, he's a man. He's a good man. But you don't understand. Colossians, the scripture reading. He is the image of God. Jesus represents God's nature. Everything we read about the God of the Old Testament, that's Jesus dealing with Israel, dealing with Canaanites, dealing with a world that is more corrupt and evil than anything we would ever accept. So if you want to exclude the gospel and exclude Christianity in general because the God of the Old Testament seems like this overwhelmingly forceful uh, monster, you're not reading the Old Testament through the right lenses. That's not who he is at all. The gospel shows us who God has always been. Not who Jesus is in the New Testament, but who God of all the universe from the beginning of time, who he really is. Because like I said earlier, like John said earlier, you have to believe that Jesus came from God. Men have beheld God in human form. He was among us. He was with us. We witnessed him. Look what John says back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, to start this whole letter off. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. How do you touch the word of life? You touch God. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that we have seen and have, have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The picture is, John says, we apostles, we disciples in the first century witnessed God coming to earth, and living among us. Why 
should the gospel be listened to of all the different religions, of all the different exclusive communities? That's what every religion is, including naturalists, including humanists. Why the gospel? Well, the gospel tells us God became man to serve us and to show us his glory, to show us who he truly is, to reveal himself to us more fully. And as we study, we learn that God is love and that he loves us. And the naturalist and the humanist and the, the Buddhist and, the, and, and everybody understands love is the most important thing in this life. And God showed it to us. We didn't get it before God came to the earth. And now we understand it. In chapter 4 of this very book, later on from what we've been studying in verse 16, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If you want love in the truest form, you need to understand the love that God has demonstrated for all of mankind by giving his son for us to live. And that is the gospel. Yeah, it's exclusive. It's a great thing that God has done for us, and he is picky about who gets to enjoy the blessings that he's offering. But he's not too picky. Not really. He's not too exclusive. Not really. And we need to think about what we're going to do in response to what God has shown to us. We can resist it and say, oh, he's so, he's so exclusive, he's so judgmental, I can't believe he's going to send all these people to hell who, who just refuse to listen to him and refuse to bow a knee to him. But God will accept everybody who comes and believes. He's not going to destroy them apart from their decision. They get to choose. It's up to them. It's not anything outside of their control. In chapter 4, he says, little children, that's what we are. We are little children. And God wants to pull us in and help us and guide us and give us all the love. The gospel is not imperialistic. It's not some wonderful thing that only the strongest countries could ever come up with, like the naturalist views and the humanist views. They're very imperialistic. It's not elitist. I know that they, people hate religion because of the religious elites that kind of oppress and, and judge other people. The gospel isn't that. Men twist the gospel. Men distort the gospel. You want to learn about that? Come to the Sunday night sermons on Galatia and, and the churches in Galatia. El religious elitism is real and true, but it's not the gospel. And it's not what God has created us to be. But the gospel is not discriminative. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter what you look like. The gospel is for everyone. And God does not require you to become a Jew in order to receive the blessings of the gospel. You were a Gentile. You've got Gentile customs. You've got Gentile traditions. That's fine. Make sure you're not idolizing any of those things. You can keep a lot of that stuff and still be yourself. But you need to believe 
in the gospel and you need to submit to my call for holiness. That's what God does. He doesn't force them to become Americans in order to become Christians or force them to become Jews. He lets them be where they're from. And he, he calls for them to be holy and righteous and good. The gospel is not that exclusive. It's extremely inclusive. But there's a call for us to believe it. As, as wonderful and, and unbelievable in some ways as it is to, to think that God would come to earth and live a human life and suffer and empty himself for us. All evidence points to that being true. And if you need more evidence to, to firm your faith, then come talk to me and we'll discuss it. And if you haven't ever wrestled with the evidence, I encourage you to do so, to make sure that you're strongly uh, founded in the truth of the gospel and the evidence that has clearly been given to us by God so that we know without a shadow of a doubt that, yes, Jesus was man and God. And the amazing thing is, we want this gospel because, as John says in this text, it helps us to know God and it helps us to overcome the power of the world. The world's pull is strong. The world is pulling us to itself. And it hates us if we don't want to come to it. And it puts the pressure on and it judges us for our exclusive views. And it makes them seem foolish. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God has not abandoned us here on this earth. If we are his children, he will be our father. And Jesus, our brother, helping us all along the way. Back in chapter 2, verse 15 of 1 John, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If you feel that pull for the, from the world to go uh, to believe their more inclusive views, if you feel that shaming that the world does because you believe that only those who have faith in Jesus Christ are going to heaven, I want you to understand that world that's pulling you, all that they have to hold on to, are the temporary things that will pass away. God offers you the eternal. His wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. As smart as these people on YouTube or wherever, whoever you're talking to, as smart as they sound, their wisdom is foolishness compared to God's wisdom. And we need to open up this book and we need to see that wisdom and we need to be transformed by the grace that God has given to us to become like God, which is really ultimately what we were created to be. He created us in his image so that we might 
shine as a light for all creation to understand how glorious God is. If you're here this morning and you have not uh, included yourself in all the spiritual blessings that God is offering to you, you've not uh, confessed that you truly believe that Jesus is from God and that he has died on the cross for your sins and you've not yet asked for the forgiveness of those sins and made the decision to turn your life away from the way you've always been living, the ways of the world, you've not yet given up the love of the world to show a love for God and a submission to him. We want to help you do that. We don't want anyone to be excluded. We beg you to be included into this. Because these spiritual blessings, they're not ours. We just enjoy them. And you can too. Please come as we stand and as we sing.